Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here. And I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask. And that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, one final announcement, guys, before we get to today's show is that I'm delighted to announce that in partnership with Middlesex University, the Amateur Football Alliance, Middlesex and London FA, respectively, that the Coaches Network will be hosting its first live event on Friday, the 1st of April, where I'll be joined by the legendary ex-academy director of West Ham United, Tony Carr. Tony will be joining me to discuss over four decades of youth development with West Ham United and to share some key insights from his upcoming book, which will be released on April 11th. And to top it off, guys, anyone that's an FA licensed coach will also be a credit for two hours of CPD in, for their attendance. And this is all for only £10. It is an evening not to be missed and to top it off until the 23rd of March, we have limited early bird tickets for only £7.50 each. So to find out more information or to register your place, please head over to Eventbrite or click the link in today's show notes. And I hope to see you guys there. But enough of my ramble on and on to today's show. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest this morning is Adam Lawrence. Good morning Adam, how are you man? Yeah, good. Thank you, Yasar. And uh, no, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it. I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to it just as much as you, hopefully. Um, Adam, just before we get started, you know, just give you know the listeners a bit of an insight around who you are, what you currently do, and we'll kind of unpack it from there. Yeah, so um, I'm currently under 16 academy coach at uh, Manchester United um, in the academy. So predominantly work across uh, the 15, 16s age groups with uh, some involvement with the 18s as well. Um, so that's sort of like, I guess, the plan do review of those age groups and uh, overseeing the players and, and the coaching side, they would be the main parts of the role, you know. Awesome. And obviously, you know, you, you've recently come into that role in the last few months, but obviously the journey must have started somewhere. Why don't you just take us back to where that journey actually started? You know, where did you get into coaching? Did you start as a player? And then, you know, have that the same dream as most of us, looking to become a top pro and obviously never quite make it. Um, what was your journey like? Yeah, yeah, very much that uh, from the start. I think when I was 17, um, I was playing non-league at the time. Uh, so I was playing at Car Shorten Athletic. And, uh, you know, uh, very similar to what you said, just around having aspirations to play at a high level of the game. You know, uh, a lot of people involved in football uh, have a genuine love and a genuine passion for it. And I was definitely one of those. So 
when it got to a stage sort of like in my late teens where um, I was enjoying playing football, but realised that I was not going to make a career or it was not going to be my main job, then naturally you start looking at other avenues and opportunities within football that might allow you to do that. So, yeah, I was 17 at the time and at college and a friend of mine was working at Millwall Community Scheme and uh, they were running uh, a level one course, basically. And my friend was working at Millwall part-time at that time and he said uh, that he could get me on the course for free. So I thought, why not? Obviously, get my level one out of it, um, have a week's worth of playing football. Um, so that was probably the main reason. And uh, just just take it from there, really. So um, I went on the course, uh, obviously, like fairly basic in terms of content and just sort of working and engaging with kids with some football uh, content within the practice design. Uh, but I met a lady who delivered the course, um, who was Louise Newstead. So Louise, who currently works as a coach educator at the PFA, um, worked at Mill Community Scheme for a number of years and also delivered courses for the FA on top of that. So uh, for whatever reason, you know, she took a liking to, you know, some of the work that she must have seen or maybe sort of my enthusiasm towards the game. She then sort of invited me to work part-time um, at the trust. So obviously for me, it was like a part-time job, could obviously earn a little bit of money and be involved in football. So for me, it was a bit of a no-brainer really. So um, obviously being from Bermondsey and very local to Millwall, um, it was ideal in terms of like traveling and uh, juggling, doing my A-levels at the same time as well. So it was great. So very much around uh, working on local housing estates, um, cages, uh, local pitches, that type of thing. Um, primary schools, secondary schools, uh, holiday camps. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of like variation early on and, and what people would call, I guess, uh, the grassroots or the very basics of, of football. But obviously really enjoyed it and just sort of went from there really. Ah, brilliant. And obviously, you know, you're right at the top of that, you talked about being, you know, um, working at Man United as the lead 16s coach, um, working across those ages. Now, that doesn't just happen overnight. So you obviously started that journey back then, taking your level one. Um, as you put it, you know, getting a week's worth of football, just playing and then again, a qualification through doing so. And I guess that time now spent in the Millwall Community Trust, how long did that last? Obviously, you, talk, you mentioned there about working in several different environments and in different types of sessions. And then a lot of it is more about, you know, community engagement projects and things like that. So just, just talk us a little bit about that and, and one of the, some of the key things that you maybe picked up um, within those experiences that you felt were crucial. I guess more from a perspective of dealing with players who are playing on a more recreational level, if you like. Yeah, I think um, I think what it gave me the opportunity to do was obviously practice in terms of uh, you know coaching and maybe sessions that you put on, um, and and in some of them they're, they're quite extreme circumstances, isn't it? So if you think about you know schools coaching and holiday camps, etc., a lot of the time you're faced with uh, you know 30 kids, uh, minimal playing area, uh, quite basic equipment. You don't really know too much about the kids. Um, so there's some obvious sort of challenges there. Some of the kids don't even really like football. You know, it might just be part of uh, the PE program. Um, so so that, that definitely gave me uh, a challenge, particularly early on, you know, as a coach and the different experiences that I think you need to sort of uh, um, develop and progress, really. And um, what, what happened shortly after me going to 
work at the community trust is I also started to work for the Lionesses in the girls program at Millwall. So Louise was also heavily linked in that. So uh, I was then sort of working within the community scheme and also for doing the under 12s. So working as a coach for the Lionesses there. Um, and I think what my early years in coaching allowed me to do was, first of all, get my coaching hours in, um, a real varied platform in terms of the sessions that I was delivering. Um, and I think it allowed me to sort of learn and make mistakes in a safe place and a safe environment. So I think sometimes if you go into academy football too early or you go in at a higher level of the game too soon, when maybe you haven't had that experience or, you know, accumulated those coaching hours. Um, that's not really the level to be making your mistakes or learning your training, I, I believe anyway. So, listen, some people might be better than me and take to it quicker and, you know, like a duck to water gun at the top end of the game. But I think for me and my journey, uh, it definitely helped and supported me to get to that stage. And I had some, I think in particular... Uh, Louise and Jim Hicks, who is now the head coach educator at the PFA. Having those two people, um, I guess, uh, mentoring me, but even in just more of an informal way, uh, just supporting my development um, and, and challenging me at different times and me being able to tap into their wisdom and their knowledge and watch them work was a great education for me early on, really. Uh, not, not just in terms of... Uh, as a coach, but also as people, you know, in terms of how you conduct yourself, uh, your professionalism, uh, your hard work, your organisational skills away from the training pitch um, and and just having a genuine love and a passion for working with young players. So uh, that, that was probably you know, in terms of like informal education and the support that I needed as a young coach, you know, having those two people and that environment around me at such a young age was uh, looking back on it now was like gold dust um, and something that I'll be forever grateful for, you know. Yeah, you make a great point there, you know, around mentoring and, and the importance of that. It's just, you know, it's something that I've shared, you know, my own views on in that some of us are fortunate in some cases to actually come across people like that, but other people maybe have to go and seek that. So, you know, just, just on that, what would you say are some of the key things that are essential to really have within that mental relationship? And I'm sure that you, you probably agree in that, in what potentially starts as a mentor-mentee relationship can also eventually develop as a friendship and, and, and then become a more mutually exchange, uh, exchanging one, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 definitely. So uh, to this day, you know, the people that I would class as sort of uh, mentors within my coaching career over the years have definitely, well, I hope anyway, become friends. Um, and, and now it would be more sort of like, when you meet or you're having conversations, they're personal ones with some of the work-related stuff in them. Um, so that's obviously nice over the years to develop some of those relationships and friendships that football can allow you to have, ain't it? which is obviously a special thing as well. But I think the key is, is um, I think is don't be afraid to admit and be self-aware enough to know that you're not the best and that, you do have development areas and that there are people out there that can help you improve in terms of what you do on a daily basis so I think first of all like having self-awareness as a coach and always having an open mindset to develop and improve um, I think is real key so as a coach you have to be 
you know, you have to have your personal beliefs. You have to have, you know, whether you call it your ideology or the methodology in which you work. Um, but you always need to be seeking new ideas and I guess different little innovations in coaching um, and again to help you develop and improve with that as well. So I think I think uh, definitely not being too proud with that and then understanding that you also don't want to be too pushy, you know, with, uh, you know, because people in football and people in those types of roles are, you know, very busy. They have a lot of responsibility, etc. But um, I think if you can show that you have a genuine uh, care for developing and improving and it's genuine uh, and they feel that they can help you and they obviously see something in you that they feel they could help and support, um, then I think that's sort of, you know, the key. Uh, and that's where you have to sort of go after those people and go after the best, the best people in your industry to learn and improve. So if you want to be you know, the best developer of young players or, you know, you want to be the best manager or you work in a support department within a club, um, learning from different people at different levels, but in particular, those at the highest level that you aspire to uh, will only help you in terms of the future and stuff. So you've got a little bit, you've got to have that first, you know, to go out after those types of individuals and to learn a little bit about their journey and their knowledge really. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think one of the key things that you touched on within that was the, the, the idea around self-awareness. Now, depending on what kind of environment you grow up in, depending on the culture, depending on, you know, the influences, even before you get into the career aspect of things, that can really have a have real massive impact on, on, on whether you develop that self-awareness trait, if you like, or what level of self-awareness you eventually do adopt. So I guess in that process... Would you say that prior to going into those environments and prior to having access to those people there, that you were as self-aware as maybe you potentially could have been or should have been? Or did you find yourself having to now, actually now that you've actually got these senior figures in front of you and now that you see that there is some value being added from them in terms of developing yourself, probably not only as a coach, probably as an individual as well, that then it now started to consciously make you more self-aware, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think once you're in something and once you see uh, the best work or you see different people work, you then in terms of like, I guess, cottoning onto that and understanding that there's high level or good people out there that you can learn from yeah. that are better than you at what you do. That is the bit that then triggers your mindset to think, well, what can I learn off of them and what can I take from them? So I guess the self-awareness part simply comes from uh, developing an understanding of what good looks like and what you can learn from those types of people to improve yourself as an individual and as a coach as well. So I also think a lot of it can maybe be brought back to, you know, your upbringing uh, as as a child or sort of like as you grow up in terms of, uh, you know, I guess sort of like the humility and the respect you know, that you have uh, just for people and sort of the day-to-day, how you live your life um, uh, and understanding that you can learn from different people and that whatever you go into, you can be sort of developed and stretched and pushed within that. So I think it's like personal characteristics as well as some of your professional experiences. So just on that then, obviously, there's going to be some people, and you refer to there again around the upbringing and your personal characteristics and, and I guess traits, 
and even just respect levels you might have for other people. Now, for some people, and until they've been put into certain situations, and even people who have already been put, so I, know, I know plenty of coaches who maybe are the senior coach in their environment, um, and they have been the senior or the singular coach in their environment for quite a while. And then that lack of external input or input that might be seen as more valuable than what they're currently bringing to the environment can sometimes cloud their judgment and sometimes put them in a in a bit of a tunnel vision mindset where they think that they've got the answers and that when they do eventually receive critique from someone else from above it's also what I've been doing this for a number of years I, I know what I'm doing it's, it's hot you know for some people they almost get stuck in that situation where because they haven't had that critique or that external guidance for a certain amount of time that they almost become resistant to it so what would you know? What would you this you know two parts here? First of all, what would you say to those coaches that are in that situation that they could maybe be doing proactively to try and get keep themselves away from adopting that mindset? And secondly, those coaches are maybe coming into it. What are maybe some of the questions that you'd encourage potentially those coaches to start asking themselves early on so that they never actually get to the point where they're actually become tunnel visioned and resistant to external critique, whether that be positive or negative, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um I think it very much depends on sort of like the relationship that you have um, with a mentor or like the mentor sort of mentee relationship. So I think first and foremost, when, you know, this is definitely something I sort of learned in the head of coaching position, I try to develop myself in, uh, you know, for you to improve a coach in particular areas or to get them to think in a different way. First of all, you have to, I guess, try to understand them as a person you know, their backgrounds, their experiences, um, and try and understand why they work in the way that they do. Um, so instead of, you know, you being too strong-minded about what you believe in or how things should be done and vice versa with the person that you're working with, I guess trying to get an understanding of where that coach is coming from and trying to get a little bit of context, you know, in terms of the work that they do. Uh, uh, I think we've always, as developers, we've always got to be asking ourselves, you know, if, if we're asking players to have an open mindset and to be aware of their strengths and their development areas, um, then surely we should be doing the same as coaches. So as a coach, you have to be, you know, real key and understand what your strengths are and also be aware of your development areas. And sometimes they might be a little bit blind to you. So you may not be aware of them. Um, but I think some of the ways clubs are tackling that at the moment are, are quite creative in terms of uh, using the footage and analysis in with coaches as well as uh, obviously players, you know, in terms of reviewing coaching sessions and practice design, uh, things like coach behaviour and interventions, communication skills, etc. Um, and you can even do little things, you know, getting feedback from players, um, parents, etc., and and even not not just members of staff who work above you, but also who work alongside you and below as well. Um, so I definitely, for, for a coach or a person who is not maybe used to that level or maybe not that open to that feedback, uh, a more sort of like a simple uh, side to that instead of opening yourself up too much too soon. And then I guess like, trying to improve that or getting feedback from different departments and different people over a period of time. But uh, 
def definitely trying to build a relationship either way with the mentor and the mentee. And then you can develop, hopefully, a, a feeling of trust. And then if there is um, something that you both feel similar about, then great. And then at least if you have a difference of opinion, if there is that sort of like openness and trust there, then it won't be taken in the wrong way, you know. I think you make a great point. And you, you mentioned something briefly there about, you know, eventually moving into or well, one of your previous roles, which was a head of coaching. So just, just talk us a little bit about that. So you moved from, uh, you're at Millwall in the Community Trust. How did you then transition from that towards eventually becoming a head of coaching? Uh, you know, what was that journey like in between? Yeah, so uh, there, was a, there was a few different roles in that. Um, so... I was at Millwall Community Trust and working with the Lionesses, which was a uh, which was voluntary. So I worked um, for three years with the Lionesses at Millwall in a, an unpaid and voluntary role. It then got to a point where I basically wanted to go into football full time. So I accepted a role at Lambeth Council in the Sports and Recreation Department. Um, so I was the football development officer there. Um, basically very similar to the work I've done at Millwall Community Scheme, but obviously in the Lambeth region. So work in areas uh, such as, you know, Brixton, Stockwell, Clapham, um, Streatham. Um, so, so really interesting and really diverse amounts of coaching again, but uh, where my work previously was more done in sort of like the Southwark area and where I was born and brought up, um, this was more obviously Lambeth. Um, so a lot of similarities in terms of... Um, the types, the types of kids in the areas that I was working with, but well, obviously some differences as well. So that was great. Um, and then from there, I went to the States for a year. Um, so I worked for a small British coaching company called Pure Soccer Academy. Uh, spent a year in New Jersey, working between New Jersey and some of New York, which was great. Um, I think for me, that was a real good point, you know, in terms of, First of all, just living in an, another country and uh, I guess being able to be away and solely think about coaching. So I was doing sort of like two, three sessions a day, uh, very practical um, on the grass, working with different teams, working across various levels again, boys, girls, etc. Um, and then obviously after that year, I then came home. Um, and I guess then I had in my head that I wanted to be uh, work full-time at a professional club in an academy. So I think that was probably a critical time for me from coming back from the States to say, this is what I want to do. And now I need to work out sort of how I'm going to go about it. Uh, it. It sort of came at a nice time because I think it was 2012 when the EPPP came in, the Elite Player Performance Plan. So naturally what happened then is there was a lot more investment from academies in terms of uh, the number of coaching roles, uh, bigger departments across, you know, sports science and medicine, uh, analysis, you know, all the different areas of in the academy. Um, so it sort of coincided with me coming back and then applying for a job at Charlton as the youth development phase coach. So uh, funny enough, I've, I've pretty much done full circle, you know, in terms of where I started at Charlton. So very much around sort of like the 15, 16s age groups and then progressing into the head of coaching role there as well. But spent a total of nine years at the club, which was obviously great for me as well.
Uh, definitely, I can imagine so. And it's probably so many experiences within those nine years as well. So, you know, you've gone in a youth development phase coach at Charlton, working in the 15s, 16s. What, what were the biggest differences um, that you saw, A, from the initial work that you were doing with Millwall and eventually Lambeth, and then the nature of the work that you did when you were out in the States, and then in comparison to that, then when you first came into the academy at Charlton, because obviously for that, for, you know, for you, new experience, probably completely different environments, what you've been used to. And I guess even in terms of, the outcomes that you're kind of working towards were probably very different rather than it being about engagement and, uh, you know, community elements. It's much more now about actually now it's a performance pathway. So, you know, what were the biggest changes for you and, and how did you see that for yourself? Yeah, I think, um, I think even at the grassroots levels of coaching, I think you should always, although the first, y- your main aim in those sessions is sort of, uh, you know, the well-being of, of the young people, sort of like the engagement, uh, a lot of the time sort of keeping them off the streets and sort of uh, in deprived areas of London that you're working in. So it's the relationship is important throughout any, uh, I guess, like any level of football or, you know, that you work in. Um, but you, you naturally, that becomes an important part when you work in sort of like community projects and programmes. Uh, but you've also come across good players. So when I think back to, you know, working on the kicks program at Mirwall as an example, when some of the players that came through there, or you may have worked across uh, in, in different areas and different programs, um, some real good players as well. So you still have a developmental focus because sometimes the level could be quite good where you feel you could sort of plan and structure sessions to try and develop and improve the individual and the group. But then naturally, when you go into an academy environment, uh, you start thinking more with a performance head and there becomes a greater focus on trying to develop the player for the for a future in a professional game, yeah. as well as still trying to develop, you know, good, rounded uh, young people, which was a massive part of being at Charlton as well. Yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned it because, you know, I've... I've... Over the last few years, myself, I've been up delivered uh, many coach education courses through level ones, twos, and, and and whatnot for the county FAs. And one of the things I've always said to kind of coaches at that level is yes, although you know, your your main goal is to try and get these players to first engage with the sport and secondly, hopefully, fall in love with the game. You have to kind of maybe set the bar higher than that. In that, okay, now that you've reached that point, don't just settle for that because obviously within that, you've talked about there being some players who are we're going to be exceptional in that, you know, in comparison to the majority of them. And that might genuinely have some aspirations or even potential to go into a, a you know, more of a performance pathway. So it's, a, you still need to cater for that. And, you know, I say that to say that a lot of coaches, in my opinion, that work in these environments, maybe sell themselves short a little bit because they, they, they're happy with just keeping the kids engaged rather than thinking, right, now that I've got them engaged, how can I extract more out of the time I'm with them? whether that is for some of them actually giving them those little bits of information that might take them that little step further or just, you know, putting things in a bit more of a, yes, it's engagement, but actually we're going to be engaging in the progressive, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, um, I think where some coaches separate their, themselves from others in, in that sort of area in which they work is they then sort of like guide and support the player in terms of where they want to go. So, 
You know, for instance, if you was at a school session and you saw an 11 or 12 year old kid that was quite good at football um, and he didn't play for a Sunday team, as an example, you might just then make contact with the school or the teacher and give them the names and contact numbers of one or two clubs in the local area that they might want to play with. Um, you might be on a social inclusion program where you feel there's a player who's got some real good potential or some real good talent. Um, and even though you might not work in an academy, you might think, you know, this player has got something or stands out a bit different to the rest of the boys. So what do you then do? Do you just sort of leave it or do you force yourself to make contact with someone in the academy or someone who might be able to put you in contact with someone to potentially have a look? Um, and you just never know. Uh, and it might be sort of like a 19 or 20 year old boy who, uh, again, good level of football uh, and displaying some good attributes, but it becomes harder to obviously break into a professional team at that age. So you might make contact with a non-league club in the local area. Uh, so I think things like that. And I think even coaches that are working in grassroots or what they perceive to be the lower levels of the game is any player within the professional game come from very similar backgrounds in terms of their beginnings. So it is, in terms of the foundation, it is the most important part of the game in terms of introducing players and young children to the sport. Um, and then as a coach, being really proactive as to where you might be able to help some individuals, uh, not everybody, you can't, you can't help everybody, it's impossible, but understanding uh, maybe some of the individuals that you can uh, and making sure that you go out of your way to do the best by, you know, the individual or that group of players, you know. So just on that, then, you know, I think it's really important that you mention that because I think a lot of coaches, in my opinion, need to kind of really look at what they're actually doing in their environments. Are you actually coaching or are you just facilitating practice? And I think maybe it'll be good to maybe get your insights and your perspective on, on what that actually looks like in those environments because, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these environments, it is just I'm going to put on a couple practices and possibly finish off with a game. Just maybe just share a bit of insight or your, your opinion in terms of that coaching aspect, in terms of how they can start bleeding that in without it affecting the major outcome, which is, might be just to kind of engage the players. Yeah, I think, um, I think what you have to do is assess uh, where, where the sort of group is at in terms of like, a, you know, if you're doing a holiday course and you've got a group of players who are very much sort of like fun orientated and, you know, they're friends and they just want to spend the day at, you know, Mirwall or Charlton or any other club, then obviously that's great. That's fantastic. So then, you know, in terms of around like the practices that you deliver uh, are going to be very much, listen, all, all football should be fun in terms of the love and the passion for it. But they might just have that bit more of a fun element to it and a bit more chaos and a bit more free where I guess if you have a, a group of, players where you feel like there's a core in there that do want to improve and do want to develop and maybe take their football a bit more serious, uh, then you might align, you know, some similar practices or ways of working to, you know, an academy, a development centre or, you know, I guess like a more team orientated uh, type practice as well as working with the individuals as well. So I think knowing and understanding uh, the group is key. Um, and then just being able to flex your practice design and individual practices that you use, depending on, uh, I guess, like the needs and the expectations of the group, you know. 
No, I think that's a great point as well. And just just on that, then you know, you talk there about the practice design. Um, it's something that is off. You know, is, I don't think it's ever going to go out of top, out of fashion because I think people are always looking for new ways to work, develop practices in different ways, different ideas to do it. Um, often looking at one another for ideas and inspiration. What 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 are some of the principles that you kind of uh, fall back on uh, when you're looking at design and practice uh, that might allow you to design one alone without having to necessarily go and maybe nick an idea here or there, which is not a bad thing, but obviously if you're designing it yourself, there's, you probably have a bit more of an understanding of the context of why you're doing it and the reasons behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think coaches, uh, definitely like the best coaches that I've worked with uh, do a combination of both. So I think there are, you know, I think there are coaches that you sort of look at, you look at, um, you know, games, you watch players uh, and you watch games and I think, if you looked at it simply, a training session or, or practice within sessions should look like or have some reference to the game. So whether you're doing an unopposed passing pattern or a small-sided game with a condition in it, uh, you should be able to sort of look at it from the outside and see that it's a broken-down element or part of the game of football. Um, I think like a real key one at the minute and something we'll talk about a lot at the club between particularly the 15s and 16s age groups is getting that balance between developing the individual player and obviously the group as a whole as well so in academies essentially you're you're developing the individual which is real key but within a team sport so what the player is ending up in um is is obviously an 11 aside game so you're developing that individual to then be able to fit into a team, but then they'll need to have some team experiences within that. So one of the things we try to do at the club is, is try and make sure that each day looks different in terms of the content um, and then the specific focus around the players and the group as well. So uh, as an example, you know, the under 16 group um, at the club on a Monday, uh, the, the work would very much be based around um, individual development. So that can be position-specific work. Uh, it can be sort of like individual small group, more based around uh, like a technical focus. Uh, so we very much with that sort of, uh, I guess, idea of, of uh, players being able to work on their strengths as well as some of their developmental targets as well. Um, so that's something that I've really enjoyed. And they would be involved with uh, the under 18s and under 23 players within that as well. So it's quite a nice mix and a quite a nice feel amongst the players and the staff there. Mm. Uh, and then there'll be sessions uh, later on in the week or at different parts of the week that will again have a position or individual focus as well as team training where your numbers are bigger between your 15s and 16s. And we might have, you know, 25 uh, players out there as a group, um, sp- splitting them into twos at times in terms of uh, different practices that we do. And there'll be times where we stay all together. So uh, I think with players being in academies more than ever, I think one of the challenges with that, although it's great to have the contact time, is to get the variety in the practices that you deliver. Yeah, And then also off-field off as well in terms of... Uh, there's, there's some really good stuff uh, that I've sort of learned and uh, I think a real good sense being at the club in terms of uh, mentoring programmes with members of staff, yeah. uh, obviously individual and small group analysis work, which goes on at a lot of clubs. 
um, athletic development and psychology work, that type of thing. So uh, a more holistic approach, I guess, to, to player development. And obviously, we know as time's gone on, we, we, we've definitely moved, not just in football, but I think in all sports, to a much more holistic approach in terms of developing the individual, not just as an athlete, but as a person. Um, and, you know, if we, for lack of a better way to describe it, use the FA Sport Corner model, you know, you, you, your social, your psych, technical, tactical, as well as your physical, and just really trying to have a massive, you know, the, the, maximize the impact we're having on the individual essentially and bringing all those things together so i guess um a couple of things that you've just touched on there now you talk about position specific and developing the individual which is obviously key because reality is you're, you're, you're probably going to be chasing gold dust if you think you're going to actually put together a whole team that's going to consistently go through every single year and eventually become the same team that works into a first team if that makes sense um, so I think it definitely is the right approach to look at everyone as individuals and see how we can support each person getting through on their own little journey, if you like. So just maybe just talk to that a little bit in terms of the position-specific stuff and even some of the multiple disciplinary stuff that you touched on there. A lot of coaches listening to this will potentially be in environments where they've got access to some of this stuff, um, but there's also going to be plenty of coaches where maybe they don't have access to some of this stuff. So what are some of the things that you think those coaches could start to do to try and bleed some of this uh, blended approach to what they're currently offering into their environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, position-specific work and having an individual focus, I think, first of all, you've got to maximise the staff and the people that you have at the club. Um, so naturally, at, at the club that I'm at now, um, you have better resources, you know, in terms of numbers of staff um, and facilities and equipment, etc. but you've still got to try and use that and maximise what you have at your disposal, regardless of the level that you work. Uh, I think one of the good things that we have at the club is uh, we have a lot of coaches who are not, um, they're not too singular in the way that they think about, you know, me just being the under-16s coach or Travis Binion just being the under-18s coach and Justin Cochran only being working with PDP players. So we have a lot of coaches who I would call developers more than coaches in terms of uh, having that real sort of like passion and desire to work with younger players and to improve them. So we have coaches that work across various age groups and that are open to doing that. So what it then allows you to do is you're able to split your groups up into smaller numbers and have more of a specific focus. Uh, so, you know, if I say to Mark Dempsey, who's sort of like a senior academy coach and linked with the first team at the club, um, you know, does he want to be involved and take a group of midfielders between the 15s and the 16s? I know the answer nine times out of 10 is going to be yes, unless he can't do it. So I think at some clubs or some coaches that I work with, they're not as open to doing that type of work than others that I've worked with. So I think what it then allows you to do is have a more specific focus, uh, being able to break down and work on players' strengths and their development areas. And then another real benefit I feel it has is coaches have a better understanding of players when they move across the academy. So instead of a coach just inheriting a group of, uh, I guess, like under 18 players and starting to learn about them from scratch, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. They have a, a decent idea and knowledge of what type of player that player is, you know, how long they've been at the club, maybe where their journey is uh, and, and a bit more context before they start working with them, I guess, more day to day. So, of course, we still have we still have coaches assigned to age groups, you know, in terms of on an under 16 match day, I will lead the group, but very much across the working week. I'll have contact with three, four, uh, sometimes more uh, age groups in terms of working and contact with those players, which which I really enjoy. Yeah, I think you just you could constantly put you on, uh, on the edge of your comfort zone as well because you're constantly having to flex and adapt to the work with different types of players, different age groups, and look. I guess if you are more becoming more self-aware about it, critically assess whether your your communication style is one that fits. Many many, or whether you have to adjust and amend that based on the group of players, not just because of their individuals, but possibly because of where they sit in terms of their ages as well. Because you know you might have to reframe your language for an older group that you might not do in the same way for a younger group, as an example. So you know, just coming back to your journey, then looking at your time at Charlton, obviously you started off a youth development phase coach. Just talk us through how did you transition from becoming a youth development phase coach to eventually become a head of coaching? Yeah, so my my three roles at Charlton were. Um... So I started off as a, a sort of full-time under-15 coach, uh, then progressed when Jason Yule moved into the under-23s, I then became the under-16 coach, um, and then oversaw the phase, um, so youth development uh, lead phase coach, I guess. Um, and then there was a bit of a restructure uh, within the academy, and uh the EHOC program came out through the Premier League linked with uh, linked with um, the academies. And then that then gave me the opportunity to obviously apply and become the head of coaching at the club. So naturally, the head of coaching role, um, particularly for a lot of, you know, category two or category three clubs is broken up in terms of you working primarily right across the academy from under nines to under 23s. So it's very broad in terms of having that responsibility across the foundation phase, youth development and professional development phase. And then working alongside the coaches in terms of uh, developing, uh, I guess, their individual plans in terms of their strengths and development areas and then supporting their day-to-day work uh, within the academy as well. So... Um, uh, I definitely, uh, I really enjoyed, I guess, in terms of responsibility and looking across and working across the whole academy spectrum. I really enjoyed that in terms of then thinking about, you know, the style of play, uh, 
the, the coaching methodology that we use or, uh, you know, practice design that we feel were important across different ages and phases and then working and learning from individual coaches as well. So that, that, that was a big part of the role. Yeah, and obviously in, in, in the process of doing that, you've, you've gone from being just a coach who's now getting some, I guess, ideas and some guidance around how that looks and how it should look for yourself as an individual. And obviously, you're hopefully, through your experience, you're starting to develop your own ideas and rationale for different things that you potentially think could be different. Moving into the head of coaching role, you're now obviously looking at the structure of how things are actually what being developed or being delivered rather, but also addressing the need to kind of support individual coaches around their own development. So how much of that, that aspect of things was guided by, right, this is the way the club wants to work as opposed to maybe developing an idea of, okay, where does the coach want to go with it as well, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the benefits that I had was obviously I was working within the club before I got, I guess, promoted into that position as well. So it sort of helped me in terms of I already had a lot of relationships with individual coaches were, which were quite positive because I've been at the club a number of years. Um, and because I'd pretty much worked across, you know, the whole academy, you know, uh, working also with the 18s and 23s and a lot of the players who'd progress into the senior age groups and even into the first team, uh, I guess people could see that um, whether I was good, bad or indifferent, but that I'd played a part in quite a lot that had happened in terms of some of those players' uh, progress. Um, and then along with the individual sort of relationships, that, that obviously helped me sort of go into that role a bit further ahead than maybe someone who was going into that role uh, blind or maybe from another club. Um, and I think with individual coaches, uh, you know, individual coaches, they should always have aspirations and they should always have dreams. Um, but when you're working for a club, when you're working in an academy, the work that you do shouldn't be at the expense of, you know, the development of the individual players or the group as a whole, because maybe you want to sort of showcase yourself. So you may want to then, whether you've got a higher focus on winning games or you want to play in a particular style that doesn't sort of uh, befit within the academy or the different age groups, uh, you know, the style in which the teams play, I think then there as a head of coaching, you have to be strong and you have to challenge people because essentially it's not best for the individuals, the players that you're working with and the academy as a whole. Um, but thankfully, didn't have too many of them situations. It was more just, I guess, trying to develop uh, an, a, an age and phase-specific program that was appropriate for players at those sort of ages and then working closely with the coaches, both practically and from a more distant, uh, you know, uh, taking a stand back and observational and feedback uh, and getting the, uh, the coaches to be self-reflective and self-aware uh, to then improve the players through what they what they did yes yeah, so just on that then you know just thinking about the development of those coaches themselves now obviously at the top of the conversation you talked about uh, Jim Hicks and what was it this and Louise Newstead Louise sorry yeah. um, having those two people who were mentors to you and essentially in some capacity that's essentially you know that's what a head of coaching role is to an extent um, would you agree with that yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, so on that then, you know, were there, 
for those coaches who maybe potentially new to the environment and maybe hadn't had a mentor before and you maybe you were possibly their first formal mentor in, in, in that capacity what are some of the questions that you maybe ask them early on that would really get them on the mindset of right okay let's we're trying to shift mindsets here about becoming more self-aware, becoming more conscious about what we're doing and why we're doing it and actually having, yeah, just paying more attention to those things. You know, is there any particular yeah. questions that you would kind of throw at them early on? Yeah, um, I think the real the real key part to that is uh, recruitment, recruitment of staff. Okay. So naturally in my role in terms of when coaching positions were available or we might be uh, moving around sort of like the, the structure of the academy, there would be coaching uh, positions that became available. So there were at times, uh, I'm not just talking about Charlton, I'm just talking about youth development and football in general where coaches would get hired or you see coaches just get hired on, uh, you know, recommendation. Um, so they don't come in or, you know, they, they get hired more in the correct way in terms of HR process, but in terms of doing the due diligence and doing it properly, uh, I'm not so sure. So one of the first things, you know, I tried to do uh, and, and continue to sort of take on was uh, be really thorough in terms of the recruitment process, you know, so in terms of like, uh, I, I say interviews, but you want it to be sort of more like an informal conversation, quite laid back, quite relaxed and quite comfortable in terms of get, getting to know the coach and getting to know, um, you know, their background and their experiences. Uh, and then also, you know, in line with, uh, you know, things that are important, you know, you do need to have certain qualifications to work in academies, uh, you know, the safeguarding side, et cetera. So they're, they're obviously uh, some of the non-negotiables, but, and very similar to if you were signing a player, uh, you know, whereas that coach worked previously, um, do we know anyone who works at those clubs? Um, are there environments that he's worked in previously outside of football where we know people? So I think it's quite easily in life and in football to get a greater context of somebody by uh, going down them avenues and getting a broader uh, understanding of someone rather than just, you know, a formal interview, you know, with someone in their shirt and tie and uh, a 20 minute session. You know, so I think you have to sort of like go beyond that and uh, get a more rounded idea of the individual before you recruit someone. And then I think if you're clear with them from the start and you can get that recruitment part right and they're happy with it, then I think generally, although nothing's ever going to be plain sailing and there might be some difference of opinion or some ways of working over time, but I feel like 90% of the time you'll be there or thereabouts in terms of the type of people that you want working at the academy and the skill and the knowledge that they can bring to the environment as well. Um, so I was very much around, you know, not wanting everybody the same or the same types of personalities with the same experiences, but at the same time in terms of, uh, you know, having the players' interests at heart and having the empathy towards young players and developing them and the groups and being selfless in the work that they do, they were sort of like some of the key things that, that I would expect to see from coaches and we'd want in our environment, you know. Um, and another a key person in sort of my development and I guess mentoring me from that side was Steve Avery, who's the academy manager at Charlton now. Yeah. Um, so he's been at the club 
a long time, uh, has, has obviously worked with a lot of players who have gone into the professional game. And he was good for me, both from a coaching perspective and then going into that role, I was then working with him quite closely. So a great, a great, I guess, like mentor, friend, uh, colleague for me to have and learn from yeah. whilst doing the job. So that, that was a real key thing for me as well. Yes, and I was, I was going to come on to that because obviously you mentioned Louise, you mentioned Jim, uh, obviously now mentioned Steve. So, you know, just in regards to yourself then in terms of that, not, it doesn't have to be specifically a mental, but maybe some people that have had, you know, possibly big influences on you in your journey. What would you say is it, are the biggest lessons that you've actually picked up along the way around not just coaching, but coach development and just how to ad- 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 apply yourself as a whole within the industry? Yeah, I think I think some of the key things in coaching that will never change, uh, I think you see in certain individuals sort of like across your journey. So I think first and foremost, like, well, I'm definitely involved in the game because I have a real love for the game in its purest form. So uh, strip everything back away from the role or what you've done or your experience or knowledge, you know. Um, I just love football. So first and foremost, then, if you're able to have a job or an opportunity to influence the game in a positive way, then obviously that's a fantastic opportunity. Um, and then I think... What, what you see in these individuals as well is a real passion for developing young players and people. So mm-hmm. I think the thing that sort of stands them apart is their sort of like daily enthusiasm towards that and then over a number of years. So I think a lot of people can be outstanding or world-class for a day or two or for a particular period. But I think in football, when you see people that have done it for 20, 30 years at a highest level, and they've achieved a lot within the game, I think that's where them people sort of stand themselves apart. Uh, And then naturally from there, uh, you know, uh, in terms of like the relationships and the communication skills that you need to work, you know, within the game as well. So I know you hear that phrase a lot, you know, life is all about relationships and the people that you meet, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I think if you can you know, be genuine in terms of the relationships that you do have and the way that you communicate with players and, you know, the honesty and being tough with them at the right times and showing the care and support at the right times as well. I do feel you will develop that relationship over a time to an extent where at least they can see that you care about them either way. So I think if you're a coach who's, you know, always firm and a strong disciplinarian, but there's not too much care and support around the player. I'm not sure you're going to have that effect Mm. and vice versa. I think if you're working with players and it's a little bit too fluffy and it's a little bit too nice uh, all of the time, I'm not sure in terms of the higher levels of the game, we're fully preparing them for what the game looks like. Mm. So I think, I guess it's having that sort of challenge and support. uh, Yeah. On that then, you know, you're talking about challenges and, Having that support, obviously, you talk about some of the mechanisms which you can do that, that, that could be through coach developers, that could be through mentors, that could be through trusted friends and whatnot. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges you've actually had to deal with in your journey? And you know, how have you gone about dealing with that? And it might actually be something that you're currently still dealing with um, and haven't quite gotten over that. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, trying to think of one specific one, like uh, off the spot on that. But I, I do think, 
it's quite an easy thing to say, but I do think the biggest challenge is every kid being different. So you can have a lot of knowledge, you can have a lot of experience over the years, and there'll be consistencies in the way that you deal with things. But you've always got to try and understand that uh, all, all kids or all players that you work with are individual people, so their cases are never going to be the same. So I think one of, you know, uh, at a club like United, what you do have, you know, so 75, 80% of players in the 15, 16s are from the Northwest. So first and foremost, you want to develop sort of homegrown players from your immediate area. So obviously that's great. But then what you do have, uh, you, you get players that are recruited um, from other areas of, say, like the UK. Um, or other parts of the world. So as an example, um, in the under 15s, we've got one boy who lives in Diggs from London, uh, whose family, you know, still live down south. Um, and then you have another lad from London whose family live in Manchester and have relocated. So naturally, when you start, you know, uh, players, not not just in England, but obviously on the continent as well. But straight away there, you need to think about their well-being of players when they move away from home, uh, when they're living day-to-day -day away from their families. But of course, we make sure that there's space and time in the programme where they do go home. Um, and then some of the challenges that that, say, brings as well, as well as some of the positives in terms of the opportunity that they have at a club uh, like Manchester United or, you know, others that would do similar. Um, so I guess like just understanding individual circumstance and where players are at in their journey, definitely. So just on that then, you know, you talk about players being subject to different sort of challenges, like some of them being away from their families, some of them, you know, being, coming from, you know, especially if you come from, a, like I say, London, it's not, I've never lived in Manchester, but it's quite, it's quite similar in terms of a big city, a lot, lot, lots of the influences are quite similar as opposed to maybe, you know, somewhere in the sticks, if you like. Um, so from that perspective, it might not be too different, but real challenges so when you have players who are having to relocate and move around, it's just not only dealing with them on the pitch, but a lot of work then has to go into that off the pitch stuff, making sure that they're settled, making sure that they they know where everything is, making sure that they, they, they feel like they've got the support needed as and when necessary. So just how much more importance does that play in that type of relationship than actually just the on-field stuff. And yeah, if there are any experiences where maybe some of that stuff has had a, a dramatic impact on what's actually happening on the pitch because maybe they've had exceptionally positive um, experiences off it or in, in comparison, you know, exceptionally negative experiences off it. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think one of the real positives uh, at the club is the pastoral care. You know, for players off of the pitch. So I, I do think there's a lot of people at the club with a genuine care for the players as individuals, as well as obviously thinking about their footballing ability and their potential, which is obviously important as well. But I think uh, the person that needs to come first. Um, and, and what there is, uh, we have something called the Manus Programme, which is uh, the Manchester United Scholarship Programme. Uh, where players who are selected and or who then go into our sort of full-time model then have the exposure at 
fourteens, uh, well, from late on fourteens, fifteens, sixteens, to then be mentored off the pitch um, by different individuals within the organisation as well. So I've mentioned some of the support staff and the, the different departments that work with the players, but there's also dedicated space and time put in the program uh, by Stuart Lester, who's the Manus coach, where you spend time with the individual just talking about uh, day-to-day life, really. So how are they finding school? Uh, what are some of the things they're getting up to outside of football? Um, what are they finding challenging? You know, how are they juggling school and football as well as trying to be a child as well or, or a young man? Um, so all of the things that go with that as well. So uh, that's definitely one of the things um, that, that I think is like a real benefit of the club in terms of, I guess, I guess just taking time an opportunity to get to know the person more or even just allowing them space to bring up anything that they may want to bring up. Nine times out of 10, you know, the conversations will be very similar and not much will sort of, uh, you know, come from it. It might more be about how training's going or something that they want to work on or, you know, how they played in their last game. But there'll be some real good moments in terms of like things that you may need to intervene or just be aware of, you know, which I think is can only be a good thing. Definitely. So coming back to yourself now, obviously you've gone from community trust, Lambeth Council, eventually gone out to the States for a little while. You know, you've come back, you've you had those nine years, did you say, at Charlton? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nine years of Charlton transitioning from a, a youth to go to face coach, eventually become a head of coach, and you've now gone from there to Man United, one of the biggest clubs in the world, if not the biggest what was that like? You know, what was that transition like? And that, what, what were some of the things that you've just seen now that actually, and I'm sure you've probably had experience with observations of, the, of, of what's happened there, but now to be there on a day-to-day and really experience it, be immersed in it, what, what, what is that like? And what are some of the major things that you've really picked up and really been eye-opening for you? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, listen, if I'm being honest, uh, at first, it's a bit surreal, you know? Um, so although, uh, you know, when I look at my journey and the number of years I've been coaching and uh, the different qualifications that you do and the amount of time, effort, the money investment you make, you do get to a stage where I guess like you feel that you may deserve an opportunity or, or that you've done some work towards it. But uh, when you're walking into a club like that um, with the history, the tradition, uh, the players that have been developed, um, everything around it, you know, when you see the training ground and you see the stadium and the plans of the club, the ambition, the resources, um, it's massive, ain't it? You know, so you do have to take a step back and uh, I guess sometimes um, pat yourself on the back. But I think what happens when you start the role or you start a job is you realise working with 15, 16-year-old boys at Man United is very similar to working with them at Cheltenham. So they're still young people. They've still got great things going on in their life. They've still got challenges uh, and things that they need to work on. And essentially, they're trying to develop careers within the game. So for me, in terms of that objective or what you're trying to do, in terms of helping their players to realise their potential and dreams, that doesn't change, you know. Um, and, And I think it was quite... I think what, what was quite good in terms of, uh, you know, some of the people and some of the staff that I've been able to work with, 
it wasn't a massive transition in terms of, you know, the style of play or the way that they wanted to work with players. I guess it was me just more, uh, you know, coming in and adjusting to some of the work that was already going on, as well as, I guess, uh, trying to utilise some of my experiences and knowledge to help support and improve and develop the programme. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's obviously, uh, you know, when you go through every day, of course, you feel really proud to be part of what you're part of, but there's also a lot of work to do. So I think, I think it's a great, a great thing. I think a great time to be at the club at the moment in terms of, I think, from top to bottom, uh, there's so much good things going on. The club maybe as a whole uh, is not where it wants to be in terms of uh, it needs and wants to be the very best at the top of the game throughout all levels uh, so we feel we're in a good place but there's also a lot of work to do so for yeah. me going in uh, I was also excited about the challenge because what you've got is a world-class uh, a famous club that is trying to go to the next level or maybe back to where it was although there's a lot of good stuff still going on so that's the exciting bit for everyone I think at the club at the moment yeah, so let's just talk about that for a second. Because obviously, you know, it's been a few years since the, the first team have been maybe where they want to be. How, how does that impact on on someone like yourself or the academy as a whole? What, how does that play a part in terms of the morale of the academy? Does, does that present itself in its own challenges? And obviously, you, you probably experienced this at Charlton as well as obviously now at, at Man United in the short space that you've been there. But when the, I guess the people at the top of the top of the uh, top of the club in terms of the first team management and the coaching staff and, and there's, you know when there's regular changes and things like that, which it has been at the club in recent years, um, just how much of a shift or does it as an impact does it have on someone like yourself in the academy as a lead 16s coach or just as in, in the academy as a whole? Yeah, I think for a whole club, I learned this at Cheltenham. And um, you know, in terms of like it. If the first team win a game or are doing well, there's always like you can feel that buzz and you can feel that energy around the place and vice versa. Uh, because of the levels of the game and the pressures, you know, if the team loses or has a bad performance, uh, it, you do feel, you know, that uh, you, you do feel it, you know, within the club, etc. But I think um, in terms of the academy, because it's, it's separate from the first team in terms of it's a different programme. Um, I guess what you're always con concentrated and busy with is obviously the younger players and developing and working with them and improving them. Um, and, and if anything, I think uh, particularly if, if you're at the club at the moment, you should be inspired, you know, through what you see. So, you know, when you watch, I think it was uh, games like Brentford the other week where I think um, the three, three scorers were all from the academy, you know, Alanga, Rashford and uh, Greenwood. Uh, McTominay on the pitch, you know, Henderson uh, being around the squad as well. So I think one of the key strengths, and this is something that I always found was really beneficial at Cheltenham, but obviously at a club like this is to a higher level. Um, you, your motivation, you can see it every time you go to Old Trafford. So if you go to a first team game and you can see players that have maybe been in your position previously, straight away you can sort of relate to that. You know, if uh, if you haven't got any players in the first team or the first team don't seem to be including or promoting their young players, you can sell a story, but, you know, I'm not sure how well you can sell it if people can't see it on the pitch. So I think, I think that is obviously a massive thing for younger players as well. 
uh, and also trying to educate them around uh, that at some stage your future may not be at Manchester United, it may be somewhere else. So I think what you always have to be with players and groups of players you work with is, I guess, honest, where they understand the the challenges and the small number of players that do progress into the professional game. But at the same time, they have to maintain their belief and confidence that they can become that player or that they can break through into the first team or have a career in a professional game. So we talk a lot about players having a job, you know, by the end of their time with us. So once they start getting towards the back end of their scholarship or the young pros at the club, if they can have a job at Manchester United or elsewhere within the game, then for us, that's success. And then if we can give them the pastoral care and the support and experiences off the pitch or on and off the pitch throughout their journey with us, then hopefully they leave the club having really fond memories of their time within yeah. us, you know, even if it is away from you know, uh, yeah. Manchester United. So just, you know, just on that, you know, there's something you touched on there is about really immersing yourself in the environment, but also there's higher standards across the board and you're, the pastoral care you talk about there, but having the opportunity to, whether the first team win or not, no disrespect to Charlton now, you've got a lot more, you, 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 I think you'd agree in saying that the standard of the first team is probably a lot higher and you're looking at some exceptional professionals and then even the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo in the, in, in the building now as well. How much of an impact does something, something like that have on, on, on yourself as, as, as a staff member and obviously the rest of the academy? And, Maybe just give us a very brief insight if you have if you have any at all of some of the behaviours of someone like a Ronaldo. You know, probably in my opinion, best. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, uh, Yasar, because of uh, COVID, you know, in the time that I've been at the club, yeah, um, because there's been such a strong, uh, you know, with um, everything around the Premier League and positive cases and you know uh, all of the testing the sites that we use have been quite separate. Um, In normal times, I believe there's a lot more integrated spaces in terms of like canteens and gyms. And there's some, you know, real good interaction between players and staff. But obviously, which I'm sure is the case, uh, well, certain is the case in a lot of clubs, that interaction has been lost and some of that softer side and stuff. So what you do see is you, you do see little snippets of training or, you know, you do see the players from time to time, but not enough for me to really have an opinion on that side. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that is currently happening, which is I feel is really good for the players, is we have a small group of uh, pros at the club now, so first-team players, who are doing their UEFA B with uh, the academy. So they're doing the course with the PFA, but they use the academy players to obviously practice different sessions and, and put on different sessions as well. Uh, so that group, um, there's four, there's a group of four, Phil Jones, Harry Maguire, Bruno Fernandes and Juan Mata. So in terms of our players having the opportunity to just be around those four individuals and just talk to them and uh, speak to them about being at the club and their game and their journeys, etc as well as those players working with the younger players. Um, that's, that's obviously something that very few clubs can replicate at, at that level in terms of the players and the careers they've had. So uh, that's been great, you know, for me, the players and everyone at the club as well. 
I can imagine it's been quite an inspirational uh, interaction for the players that they, they I guess they they are having access to, if you like. So I guess you know, just start, you know, on that then, you know, we're talking about that inspiration and some of the things that they could potentially pick up through the players and, and just those interactions and even just being in in that environment. You come back to yourself now, you know, you've had the opportunity to kind of you've been what, coaching for maybe fifteen plus years now. You, you know, you spent a large chunk of that at child and obviously now you're at Man United one of the biggest clubs in the world if you had the opportunity to go back to yourself to say Madam Lawrence you started off in the Millwall Community Trust knowing what you know now what's some of the things that you'd want to maybe give yourself as messages to kind of help you not necessarily speed the process up in terms of where you are now but also you know I guess what are some of the key things that you think if you knew them back then you'd be having a lot a lot bigger impact on the players that you're working with a lot sooner if that makes sense yeah, I think I think more around sort of like my individual career, I would encourage uh, patience in terms of like progression and where you want to end up. So I think naturally when you go into something and maybe you feel you're quite good at it or you're really enthusiastic about it is suddenly you want to be the best and you want to take on the world. But I think what you start to realise quickly in academies is coaching can be a long profession or that you can do for a long period of time. So you want to sort of equip yourself with the right tools and skills to be able to have a long career at the levels that you want to work at. Um, and then there's different sort of like different avenues that you can go down in academies as well. So that time when I spoke about coming back from America and deciding that I wanted to go into the academy environment, I just, I just wanted to work full time as a coach at a club. Like that was simply my aim and my ambition. And then what you realise from there is there's a lot of different avenues you can go down, you know. So uh, obviously being a lead phase coach and more overseeing age groups or a head of coaching and then suddenly you're developing players, you know, you can go into academy management, uh, a technical director or a sporting director in football or you may go into coaching and feel that you're better equipped to go into recruitment and analysis or sports science, you know. So I think uh, definitely patience um, in terms of don't be in a rush, you know, although you, you want to be proactive and uh, you want to be ambitious, um, make sure it's sort of like quiet ambition and that it's timed at the right stages. Uh, and then also be open-minded uh, as to where your career might go or where it might uh, deviate deviate to um but yeah I think uh I think I think sort of looking at my journey um I, I wouldn't change a thing to be honest yes sir in terms of sort of the ups ups you have and the downs you have um but sort of when I look at um the time that I've been coaching and sort of where I'm at now obviously those experiences that I've had good bad and indifferent wouldn't have allowed me to if I didn't have them allow me to be where I am so you sort of, uh, yeah, you sort of enjoy sort of reflecting on that time and that period back as well, you know. No, definitely. So I guess, you know, you, you talk there about those experiences have shaped you to be, you know, to get to the point you are right now. Recently into the role, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot you're learning, a lot you're enjoying, and I'm, I'm sure there's plenty more to come from it. Where do you see yourself going next with it? Is it, is it still working in youth football? Do you have ambitions of working in the, in the, in the senior game at any point or...? Yeah, I think um, I think what I'm hoping to do here at the club, uh, in terms of working at Charlton, I worked nine years at a successful academy in the south of England, 
Um, I think like what I've got the opportunity to do now at United is do the same, working at one of the biggest clubs in the world, in the North, obviously a Category 1 academy um, and another successful academy on the whole. So I guess I've got a real good opportunity to work for a significant period of time at two different clubs in the North and the South across Categories 1, Categories 2, um, with different strengths and challenges, but both very productive, which would then at the end give me a very broad understanding, knowledge and success of what an academy program looks like from top to bottom, um, as well as obviously working with players from a very young age, right up to 23s at both a grassroots and academy level. So I feel hopefully once I get to that stage that I'll be in a good place in terms of my knowledge, my skill set, and then whether I wanted to sort of work at the older uh, ends of the game or eventually then go into senior football. Um, who knows, you know, uh, I guess that path will sort of uh, take us natural course, you know, over the next X amount of years. But I think at the moment, I'm obviously just very, very much enjoying the role um, and I guess very energised around sort of supporting and developing the players from 15s through to 18s and working at them, them sides and them age groups at the academy and seeing where it goes, I guess. But who knows? Two years ago, if you'd asked me that I'd be in the Northwest with uh, working at United, you know, I wouldn't have been too sure. But here I am, so we'll see where we are in uh, five years' time. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to get there, and I'm sure you're going to have an impact on the on the club in the long run as well. Just to, you know, as we look to kind of wrap up, then um, on a last note, if you have sixty seconds now, some real key golden nuggets for listeners to kind of take on board and think about applying in their own journeys. What would those be? Um, I, I think I think the advice, some of it, I'll probably be repeating from earlier on, but I think uh, if you've got a love of the game and you've got a real passion and, and love of football in its purest senses, immerse yourself in the game and, you know, don't fight that. It's a very tough industry. It's a very difficult one. But if football is our love, love and passion and us, in our spirit, then we have to go with that and uh, you want to try and work within the game at whatever level you sort of wish and aspire to. And then I think just you've spoken a bit about your dreams and your ambitions is uh, stay with it and commit to them. So even in times where you feel it might not be going the way you want or you might be finding it a bit difficult in the profession, uh, stay with it because I feel it's very much similar for players and staff. If you do stay with it and you're really committed to your career and progressing and developing, I think eventually things will work out for you at some sort of level. So, uh, yeah, just just embrace the highs, the lows, the in-betweens and, uh, I guess, enjoy the game we love, really. Awesome. Adam, I really appreciate your time this morning. It's been really, really insightful and I'm sure the listeners have uh, picked up loads of little pieces along the way. Um, thank you again for your time. Have a great day, man. Thanks, Thanks for having us. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.